Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And the question now is, why didn't they when others did? It's in the verse. Here's where it says, You didn't do this, for you do not believe him, which would mean me, whom God the Father has sent. And what is he saying subtly? Are you able to follow this? What is he saying subtly? He's saying, you're not listening to me. I'm God speaking to you right now. You're not seeing God because you don't see me as God. So that's why you're not hearing him. That's why you're not seeing him. Because I am God and I'm right here. So the witness of God is the Father is all over the place. And I just love to see how God the Father so lovingly identifies with God the Son as all being one in the family. Well, let's move to witness number four, all right? So we had John the Baptist. We had the works. We have none other than God the Father. Now we're going to have the witness of the Scriptures. I spoke to this a moment ago, so I won't have to be as long in this, but it's interesting how that perhaps the longest portion of his witness list is all found in Scripture here. So let's look at what it has to say about the Scriptures testifying that Jesus is God. Verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Let me go back up to verse 39. Do you see the phrase that says, you search the scriptures? I don't mean to get too technical here, so just allow me a moment to kind of explain. A lot of Christians will use this verse that says, hey, search the scriptures. That's a command, search the scriptures, because in it you'll find about eternal life in Jesus. Well, I don't think that's a wrong command. I think you can find it in scripture. It tells us to read the word, and we do know in scripture you're going to read about Christ, and in it, when you read Christ, you can't get far away from having eternal life through faith alone in Christ. It's all in there. But I don't believe this is an imperative in the Greek. I think it leans more towards what we call indicative. Indicative means it indicates something. So what is it indicating? Look back at your Bible. You search the scriptures. It's indicating you Jews, you're reading the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That's not too far. Those of you that have studied anything about Judaism and perhaps even the scribes and the Pharisees, they meticulously studied scripture. In fact, they would count the words in the Old Testament. They would count the letters in the Old Testament. When they would want to copy these things, they would make sure that the same letters that were here were there, the same words were here. They all added up in this thing. When they got to the name like Yahweh, Jesus, or Jehovah, not Jesus, but Jehovah, they would have to stop then and take a bath before they write. They had to get cleansed. So everything was all about the Word. They want to study the Word. The problem is, while they were studying the Word, they were not looking at the Word from the perspective of what is the message God wants them to know about him and the coming Messiah. Now let me take a moment and give me a a second here to do a sidebar. There are are a lot of Christians today that um, on the negative side that are not um, really studying the word. And I want to give you a public apology. A part of it is, I think, my fault as your pastor. For many years that I've been here and even before I came, most of everything that I did is I would put on an outline for you with all the verses, and you're, you have that right now in front of you. Or you'll see it up on the screen. All right, that's great. But what that has created is a dependency upon, 
I have all the verses in, in my, my uh, outline. I have all the verses up on the screen, so I'll just come. Or, well, he has a different version than I have, and so it's harder for me to follow, so I'll just follow what he has. So I'm going to listen to what he, meaning the pastor or preacher or whatever, is giving. And I know it's biblical because I see it's up on the, on the wall there. But what that has done is it has created a more anemic relationship between us and the Word of God. In other words, I'm not going to do this, and it's not too much tongue-in-cheek, but how many of you who have not been bringing your Bibles, but you've been saved a long time, you take these notes, how many of you translate those notes right into your Bible so you have a working toolbox of God's Word so you can have it wherever you go? Now, that's not meant to be on a guilt trip. That's just a rhetorical question, though, because all of us are like that. And so if you'll notice when I started the book of John, I'm not moving away from the notes in the worship folder and on the screen. And the reason I'm not moving away from that is because as much as I really am caring and wanting you to be deep in the word with your Bible, I live in a very real world that I need to be all things to all men and that there are many people that have no Bible. They don't come in with the Bible. They don't even go to churches. Most churches today, you don't even carry your Bible unless you're a teacher and you got to have it. And so in that case, they come in without the word. And if I didn't do this, they'd be so lost to do it. Oh, we could put Bibles in the pew racks and all that under the chairs, but there's something about having your own Bible and studying it. I urge you to get a good Bible, preferably a Bible that's a literal translation, and go through this material. Now, the other caution is this. There are some that have the Bibles and they so much worship the Word. They have to have the right Bible and they begin to criticize everybody else's translations. And I know there are some better ones and weaker ones. I know there's some more accurate, there's some that are not. I realize all that, but they become so much committed to this Word that it becomes so precious to them. I was in Bible college my freshman year and I wasn't married. I went over to Carol's house where mom and dad and her aunt and uncle lived. Her aunt and uncle were high muckety-mucks. That's a, maybe I should, that sounds too marginal. Um, they were major leaders in the Seventh-day Adventist movement in Florida. I mean, they were like right at the top. I remember coming home from, my, from Bible class, coming home, coming to Carol's house to have lunch. And so what I did is I took my Bible and I set it on the chair. I took my jacket off and I put the jacket on top of the Bible and I went into the kitchen where Carol was making sandwich or something like that. Her aunt and uncle, as well-meaning, as wonderful people, you wouldn't find more loving, gracious people than them, came up to me, and the first thing they did was grab my, 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 my jacket off my Bible and says, you never cover your Bible. How could you do that? You're studying for the ministry. And I got this 30-minute lecture that even today, all I remember is my ears were pinned back. And even now, sometimes I think, I don't, maybe I should put some of it. But reality is this. We can move into an area that's just as, as wrong because Satan is a master of imbalances where we now move from Bible study to bibliolatry. You know what idolatry is? Idolatry, idols, worship of idols. Bibliolatry is the worship of the Bible. So much so that we can parse all the Greek, we know all the language, we have all the reference books. I mean, we can really argue this, but we don't know the Jesus Christ of this book. So to do that, we have to bring orthodoxy into our purpose of studying it is to see in it the person of Jesus Christ and who he is theologically true, but at the same time, who is he? He is alive. Jesus is the living word. The word of God is the written word and he's working in your life.
Some of you may have started reading your Bible and you read it for a while and it gets boring and you put it down, you don't understand it, whatever. We all go through that. We'll call it just dry cereal time. You know, it's just not super peaches and cream. We have those times. And when that occurs, we then cease to have that intimacy with the Lord. Listen, listen. And all of a sudden now we have to chase after experiences or go to more meetings or seminars or more services where there's more bells and whistles to get that momentary fix instead of just getting into the Word. There's nothing really wrong with that. But when that becomes the source instead of the byproduct, we really miss it. So we need to get back into the book right here. So he says this about Scriptures. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. In other words, that by studying it you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Remember, going to heaven is not believing in the word. It's believing in Jesus Christ who is now brought out in the word. And you are unwilling to come to me. You're not unwilling to come to scripture. You're unwilling to come to me so that you might have eternal life. So in the word is the truth of eternal life. But salvation is not found in believing the Bible. Salvation is found in believing in Jesus Christ who is accurately described in scripture. Verse 41, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Why? Because you haven't trusted Christ. I have come in my Father's name. There's that whole thing together, the oneness of God, the Father, God, the Son. I come in his reputation, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name or reputation, you'll receive him. Now that really baffles me. He says, look at all that I've shown you right here. You believe anybody and their reputation based on their name, but you won't believe me. And look at all the witnesses that I'm bringing to you of who I really am. You won't do it. I have come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Now that is a phrase you ought to underline because he's talking about his glory, God the Father's glory, God the Son's glory. So he's putting it all into one deal. You are not following it. If you're following God, then you will see me as God. If you're following me, you will see that I am God and you're not doing that. So the witness of it in Scripture. That section there would preach, and I could go on a lot of different angles, but I think there's enough there and allow the Holy Spirit to love you and to wrap his arms around you through the Word and to help you to maybe develop a a better study habit in God's word and to be here every Sunday because every message builds upon the Sunday's message before. The last witness is is something that is a little bit more subliminal. Subliminal, it doesn't say it is a witness, but I believe it is in a subliminal way, and it happens to be the witness of Moses. So let's just look at the last three verses and we'll be finished. Verse 45 says this, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. Now, if you want to, in your margin, you can write the following reference down when it says that, don't think that I accuse you before the Father, because it says this, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. He that believes in him is not condemned, accused before the Father, but he who believes not is condemned already because he hasn't believed. So Jesus didn't come to accuse. He's not here to accuse. Our sins will accuse us. At the judgment seat of Christ for believers, we still have eternal life, but we'll have a loss or a gain of rewards there. For those who do not know Christ as Savior, they'll receive eternal judgment at the great white throne, and that's a horrible thing, hard for me to even talk about. But Jesus says, I'm not going to accuse you. 
And he says, if you really want to look at someone, look at Moses. You look to him to be your hope. Now, why would they look to Moses? Does anybody know what the technical term for the first five books of the Bible is called? The Pentateuch, all right? The Pentateuch is what Moses had written. Now, I don't have time to unpack the JHPD theory and all of that, maybe at another time. Some of you that teach that in the classes, you can. But right now, I firmly believe that underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses recorded what we needed to know about Jesus, at least in the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in that order. Now, he does it all through Scripture, but right now we're talking about Moses, which now this is really baffling because these Jews study the law. Where do they get the law? Moses. They studied all about the prophets or their patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Newton. No, no, no. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <laughs> they studied all about that, and yet through those events, those people, those laws, and everything about the tabernacle, just in those first five books, all of that were symbols or arrows to the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is God. And so he is now throwing back the very person that they held in such high esteem as their major front-runner historian, which would be Moses. And they wouldn't do it. They still couldn't see it. Verse 46, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me. <laughs> he kind of gives them a little gig there. You talk about being such great Jews. You talk about believing in Moses. If you believed him, you'd believe me. But you don't, for he wrote about me. Now, how did he do it? Jot these three words down, just boomity boomity boom. You're going to find history about Jesus, how he even got to be who he is through the Jewish nation, typology. That is a wonderful study. We should have a class on that, just on the types in the Old Testament that point to the person and work of Christ. And then prophecy. And there is prophecy in the Pentateuch about Jesus Christ coming. And I don't have time to take you there right now, but if you wanted to, you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Write that in your margin. Maybe get out a commentary and study that a little bit further, and you will find it in verses 15 through 22, and it will talk about that as well. So those are your three words that show you but he says, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You can leave this place here, and if you will, just turn to our last passage, which is found in Luke. Just go to the left. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke chapter 24, if you'll just turn to Luke 24. Because what I'm about to give you is a summation of all that we've covered, all in two illustrations of a real-life event that occurred. All right, so let me go over that while you're turning there. It's not hard to find. Jesus Christ died, he rose again from the dead, but before he left planet earth to go to heaven, that would be called the ascension, he was here. When he was here, he was traveling to a place called Emmaus, so it's called the road to Emmaus. On the road to Emmaus, there was a being, a human being, some angels, whatever. I believe that being was Jesus Christ himself, and the people who were with him at the time that Jesus spoke to them did not know he was Jesus, but very soon after when he disappeared from them, they recognized that was Jesus speaking. That's the first passage I want you to look at. What did he talk to those people about? You're looking here at chapter 24 here, and he's on the road to Emmaus, verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was crucified. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. So Luke says so because the Holy Spirit inspired him to tell everybody that it was Jesus. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So these folks didn't know it was Jesus. We do because we can read scripture. 
And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still and they looked sad. And oh, no, one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? And you don't know what's happening there? My goodness, there was such a thing going on over there. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of all the people. Oh, and he keeps on talking to them about how special all that was. Go a little bit fast forward now, if you will. Pick it up in another passage here. Now, if you will, verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? That's what the commotion in Jerusalem was about. And to enter into his glory. Then what did this man on the road to Emmaus say and do to these two? We know him to be Jesus. Then beginning with whom? With Moses, what he's really saying, the Pentateuch. And with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning what? Himself. In the scriptures, you might have life because you'll know Christ. Himself, Jesus, in how many of the scriptures? All the scriptures. Now, some of you that want to go further, go to every book in the Old Testament and you find something about Christ. If I should ever live that long and pastor here, I would love to take you on a journey of how you can see Christ in every one of the Old Testament books. Now, let's leave it there. Okay, so a bunch of other stuff happens a little bit later on. Not much later. We see the disciples are out there and they're now having something to eat. Jesus now shows up and here's what it says here, verse 44, same chapter, same book, Luke. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. So he's saying, remember guys, this is a pop quiz. This is what I was telling you about while I was alive on this earth before my resurrection. That all things which are written about me in the, what, law of Moses, Pentateuch, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. There's the prophecy we talked about. Then he opened their minds, and I love this, a sovereign God has to do this. He opened their minds to understand what? The scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer, in this case has suffered, and rise again from the dead, which I've done the third day. And then he talks about, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. In other words, you've got to change your mind about who you are. You have to change your mind about who Christ is. Here it is, here it is, that Jesus is God. You have to change your mind about the way to heaven. It's not through keeping the law. It is through faith alone in Jesus Christ. So you change your mind so you can receive the full forgiveness of sin because if you still think it's by your works or you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, if there's some other way, you can't be forgiven. You are sinning because you are disobeying the only way to heaven, which is believing in Jesus Christ. And that's the message of salvation through faith alone that was to be spoken to the world, and they were getting their marching orders in a veiled but beginning way. Well, folks, I hope that today God might have spoken to you. I hope for some of you, your resolve about Jesus being God and knowing it now from Scripture has strengthened you. You believed it up here in your mind, all of that, but now you believe it in your heart because you have the word for substance. But if that's the case, it isn't, watch this, it isn't about just having a knowledge of all of this. That knowledge should engage you in a relationship with him. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, then I want you to know that Jesus is God and he said for you the only way to have eternal life is to place your faith alone in him. And Jesus, who's God, said that. There is no other God. There is no other way. And for you not to do this, you are in a horrible, precarious position that has nothing to support your belief. And I love you when you say that. We've all been on your side, but somewhere along the line, God brought to us an understanding of Scripture and we trusted Christ as Savior. I pray that you'll trust Christ as Savior.
He is the only hope for eternal life. Now, those of you who already know Christ as Savior, do you know him as your Lord? Yeah, he's Savior when he went to the cross, but he was also the Lord who went to the cross and as Savior and now Lord, as a believer in him, he tells us that we need to honor him. And we honor him by our lifestyle, for sure, living separated as unto him, a holy life, watch this, from the inside out, not through legalism. We studied that three weeks ago. But we do it from a heart of, I love you, Lord, and I love you so much, Lord, that I want to love who you love, and you love the world, and I want to love them. And if I really love them, Lord, I want them to come to know you. And for them to come to know you, I want them to know that you are Lord and Savior and that you died on the cross and paid their sin debt. But I don't want them just to have fire insurance. I want them to worship you like I'm now worshiping you. And I want them to learn how to grow in grace like I'm learning how to grow in grace. So I want to do that for you, Lord. I want to live a life and deal with my sin so I don't have you and my heart on one side and duplicity on the other because I still want a part of the world over there. And having you on one side and the world on the other is like one foot on the dock and the other foot on the boat and the boat takes off. I'm neither on the dock or in the boat. I'm nowhere. And I want all of you, Lord. So today, folks, the Lord has given you a tremendous biblical meal. Will you come and eat? Let's pray. In a moment, I'm going to pray but I want you to prepare your hearts for your time of prayer. The Holy Spirit, God, I hope has opened up your heart to this truth. And I hope that today that you're doing business with him because he loves you. I hope that I've spoken with urgency and courage, clarity, correction. But I also hope that I spoke compassionate. Now, some of you that are going to be on this journey of discovering this truth, I'll walk with you on that journey as long as you're walking in a true desire to discover that truth. We've all been there. Some, when they heard it the first time, bing, bang, boom, they trusted Christ and were saved from that lost condition. Others had to sort through this a little bit. But then it happened. But for those of you that are ready today to trust Christ, why don't you do that? Don't put it off another minute. The Lord is now drawing you. Christ has been lifted up and he says if he is, he'll draw them in. So you're being drawn by him right now. Would you now place your faith in Christ? You must do that. That's your choice to either accept him or reject him. He's done everything to bring you to that point. Now, will you trust him? Now, if you're doing that, I'd like to pray for you because I want to welcome you into God's forever family. You trusting Christ instantly made you a part of this forever family. I love you, and I pray that you will trust Christ as your Savior. Is there anyone in here that would say by an uplifted hand that you're trusting Christ as your Savior? Not an outward statement of, of a voice, but a, a silent statement with a raise of hand that today is the day you're trusting Christ as Lord God who as Christ went to the cross to pay your sin debt. Is there anyone at all? Slip up your hand, put it down. Anyone at all? Today's the day. Okay, Christians, I know you got a big plate today. I know that. It's hard to kind of cut some of this stuff out. How do how, how you do it? But at the same time, I believe you're mature enough to grab this. Now, did God speak to you about the witnesses? Was there something maybe in the message that the Holy Spirit used to speak to you about? Maybe it's for you to study Scripture. Maybe for some of you to understand the Old Testament. Maybe for some of you to be bolder in your outreach. Maybe for some of you to realize that you will answer for your life before the Lord. And that's a holiness issue with you. 
let's now just together and quietly as we prepare our hearts for communion, truly, really worship the Lord now. This communion is for those who know Christ as Savior. It's for us to realize that Jesus Christ was on this earth. Even the communion elements were representing the blood and the body of Christ, that he is the Lord, he is God, and he did that for you and me. It's a time for us to celebrate that he has come and that he is coming again. So let's prepare our hearts. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what you've spoken to us today. Thank you that, hard for us to even do this, but Lord, thank you for that crippled man who you chose to heal on a Sabbath in front of all these Jewish leaders and then to be taunted and persecuted by these Jewish leaders for what you did. For Father, that was a teachable moment that gave us a lesson where that we can believe that you are God. You delineated for us how you are God. And then you paraded witnesses in front of us that you are God. And so, Father, let us not just have a head knowledge of academics that you are God, but because you are God. We are the sheep of your pasture. We want to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we want to serve you in Jesus' name. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh,